Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning on a day that is like any other, but yet is so different than any other. This is the day that we celebrate as Christians Jesus coming into Jerusalem victorious. And many that were living that day had no idea how the week's events would go. And he came to be our servant king, our savior, our Lord. And he left that week both dying on a cross, but then being resurrected from the dead. So Lord, as we go into your word this morning in the Gospel of Luke, Lord, just open our hearts, our minds, and our will that we would pursue him for what he is. And we would not forget who he is. Like the people that rejected him within a week. Lord, help us to stay focused this morning. Help us to have what is in your word drown out anything that is happening outside of the space that we're in right now. All the things that we brought with us allow our minds to be focused on your word. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. How many of you wake up this morning and are glad that it wasn't snowing? Okay, just wanted to take a poll. That's my poll every morning. It's not snowing. I'm John Mueller, the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here to our service in person, but also online. Today is Palm Sunday, and when I was a kid, we used to go on Palm Sunday, and we used to have these palm fronds that we used to run around with, right? And as a parent, I don't like palm fronds. You know what they do? Kids, like, tear off the palm part of it. You know, they're just destroying it within three hours. And so we don't have any palm fronds this morning. And actually, we're reading from the only gospel that doesn't mention palm fronds, which we'll get to what he actually mentions later in Luke. It's the day we as Christians remember Jesus coming to Jerusalem one week before his resurrection. It's one week before the resurrection. If you have our app, you can click at the top of the feed, and you'll find our digital bulletin and notes so you can follow along. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke with a message I've entitled, The Entry of the Servant King. If we want to understand the passage this morning, it's in Luke chapter 19, we first have to realize that the Gospel of Luke has three sections to it. Much like many books, there's a beginning, a middle, and a conclusion, right? Isn't that what you were taught in English class? Well, Luke's a little bit different than that. He's got different focuses, The first eight chapters are about who Jesus is, and it targets the mind. So first, Luke is talking to the mind, and that's the first thing he goes for. The middle nine chapters or so target the will. It's actually telling us what it means to follow him, to be a disciple of him. And that's the middle section. And then we're going to be in the last section. The last seven chapters go after the heart. They go after our hearts. It tells us how to have an encounter with him through helping us understand what he came to do. So we're going to have an encounter this morning with Jesus along the road. He's along the road on the way to Jerusalem, and it's going to show us what it means to follow him. The last section starts right here this morning. We find Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. If you have your Bible with you or you're on your phone or 
the scripture will be on the screen. And I'm going to read through verse 40 here. A passage that some of you, if, if you've been in the church a long time, this is a passage you hear once a year. Well, I'm going to try to have you think about it a little differently this morning. Because I read it new in a different way this time. This is talking about Jesus. It starts in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went, up, went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, as he, just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt, and its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Doesn't that sound like a reasonable question? Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks out on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. So the entire focus of the Gospel of Luke, I'm going to give you right now, is Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. That's the entire focus of the book. And now we're at the point where he's entering Jerusalem. Culminating with his death on the cross and the resurrection, Luke's audience was Gentiles. That's just you and me, unless you're Jewish. And so anyone that wasn't Jewish, this is what the audience was. He didn't use terms only Jewish people would know, so he wrote this for us. So what was he saying here? What message does he have for us? To get the message of the passage, first we have to look at the details. There's some details here. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. That's important. He asked the disciples to get a colt, a young donkey, and Jesus is shown to be in control here. Why is he shown to be in control? Think about the, think about the details again. He knows where it's located. Doesn't he know where it's located? He's just like, well, it's going to be over here. He knows it's tied up. That's another detail. He knows its history. He knows it's a cult that's never been ridden before. He knows how to get it. Jesus knows everything. Which leads me to my first truth about Jesus. Jesus is the all-knowing king. He doesn't know some things. He knows all things. And he still loves us. Think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. He tells them, if anyone challenges them, he tells the disciples, just say the Lord has need of it. By calling himself Lord, Jesus is saying that he's the ultimate owner of all things. I mean, just someone walks on your property and says, hey, can I borrow your car? Well, the Lord needs it. I don't know what your response would be, but it would be varied. I mean, but not positive, probably. The owners end up catching them, taking the colt, and yet, just as Jesus said, they let them leave with the donkey. After this, it doesn't say anything about the owners. Like, nothing at all. We don't get their names. We, no details about that. The disciples take the initiative, though, to put Jesus on the donkey and make a seat out of their cloaks. 
It's a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. And I think this is important, and that's why I want to include it, because it's, it's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king, king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Righteous salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right there at the end, the colt or a foal of donkey literally means it's never been ridden before. So that was the fulfillment of the prophecy. In the Old Testament time period, there was some kings that rode on donkeys. But then by the time of the first century where we find Jesus, what do you think they rode on? War horses. It was different. They didn't ride into town on a donkey. They would have been laughed out of town. Jesus is identifying as the king. Just like King David, the king that all other kings were measured by in that world. The people have been waiting for a king to liberate them from the Romans. They were, they were enslaved, essentially, by a foreign power. Jesus was the fulfillment of what they were looking for, but not how they thought. They thought differently. They thought he was going to be maybe a political leader. Jesus riding on a donkey shows Jesus' humility. He's a servant. He's not someone that needs a war horse. He's in complete control, confident and at ease in his authority, which is where we have the second truth about Jesus. Jesus is the servant king. And I would argue that this is probably the theme of the whole entire book of Luke. He's a sacrificial king. He's the servant king. You could use different terms, but he's the servant king. Jesus is bringing restoration, not of a physical kingdom, which is what was expected, but of God's kingdom. People were looking for that political leader, and Jesus was going to provide spiritual leadership that they'd never seen before. So what do people do as Jesus rides into Jerusalem? They throw their cloaks on the ground, showing respect. It makes me think of when you go on a date, gentlemen, and there's a puddle or there's something your, your date is, needs a jacket, you put your jacket over him. Or you throw your jacket over the puddle so your date doesn't step in the puddle, right? That's pretty old-fashioned, right? Really old-fashioned. This is 2,000 years ago. That's old-fashioned, okay? But that's what they were doing. They were being, they were showing respect. Luke makes a note here. Again, if you notice in that, in that verse, it says also he's drawing near. He's drawing near both to Jerusalem and to the cross. The disciples respond by praising God. They respond by, about all he had done through Jesus. And the people's praise was from their hearts. If you notice this, what I said about this section of Luke, it's to the heart. Because what, what they had seen, that's why they praised from their hearts. God's mighty works through Jesus were numerous. Think for a second. The blind see. The deaf hear. The lame walk. And the good news is being preached. All of those things are happening. The praise of the people was definitely in contrast to the fake praise of Caesar. And when he went somewhere, they would pay people or threaten to harm people to praise him. <laughs> That's a little different. The people here are, are, are animated in praising him. If we're going to invite Jesus into our lives, we'll treat him like our king and ruler of our lives. Sometimes we want to sit on the throne, but he should be on the throne. We can't be double-minded. And sometimes we are double-minded. As James says in James 1.8, it says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he, his ways. Think about that. 
If you're focused on your ruling your life and you're also trying to focus on God ruling, there's something that's going to come in conflict. Jesus will give us wisdom and strength when we ask in faith. But if we're half in, if we're half in, like some in this crowd, praise might become cries of disappointment. In one week, there was a profound shift in the people. If you look at Holy Week, it starts with Palm Sunday. You have Good Friday, this Friday, and then you have Easter. And we worship different things on those days. Like, we worship in different ways. For example, Good Friday is generally a day we do communion. Easter is a huge celebration of the resurrection. And Palm Sunday, especially as when I was a kid, and even more as a pastor, is this thing that we just don't really know what to do with because we know what's coming. For half in, praise might become cries of disappointment. We started the Pharisees' comments. It started, it started right at the Pharisees' comments that there was a profound shift. If you look in verse 39, they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke is probably the strongest word possible. Does anyone ever use rebuke now? I mean, that's not a word we use. Think about this. It'd be like, being in the grocery store and telling someone to discipline their kids. That's kind of what it is. It's like, discipline your kids. They're going crazy. That's what he's, they're doing, as if they have a right. And in that case, they don't. Because Jesus' response to them tells them and us what authority he has. He said, I tell you, if these were silent, if the people were silent, the very stones would cry out. I want to tell you something. If I was there that day and the stones cry out, I'd be pretty excited. I'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. Jesus really is the creator. Jesus is more than they realized and more than even people praising him realized. Jesus is the creator king. He's not just the all-knowing king. He's not just the servant king. He's not the creator, just the creator king. He's all three. The words of the people... The Pharisees, the religious, wanted to quiet them. But that was just a bit of who Jesus was. He was just showing himself. The people were saying, this is what they wanted to quiet. So if you want to know what they wanted to quiet, it shows us right here in Luke. It says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's the all-knowing king. He's the servant king. And he's the creator king. But even Jesus, at this point, stops along the road knowing that he'd be rejected. You thought this was going to be a happily ever after story, but when we get to the end of this passage, we're going to see something that we wouldn't expect. We have a choice in our lives. Live like people praising Jesus, or live like the Pharisees, trying to quiet the praises of those same people. Live like Jesus serving others as the servant king or live serving our own pursuits and desires. So we all have a choice. So what are you going to be? Jesus, Jesus nears to Jerusalem and he leaves us with that choice. His demeanor changes. And this part, these last verses are the verses that I think profoundly impact me more than anything else. And that's why this morning, we're not just ending at verse 40. We're continuing on to 41 through 44. I think it's, I think it's so interesting 
Because when you get here, you notice that Jesus has emotions. Before this, is kind of like he just is all-knowing. Okay, he's all-knowing, great, you know, and, but he's the servant. You know, he wants to serve. He comes in on a donkey. It's not some magnificent thing. And then you get to verse 41 through 44. And it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, what, what that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Way to end on a heavy note. Jesus' response is that he weeps for the people in the city. We have a savior that weeps for us, a king that weeps for us. And this is only one of two times that Jesus weeps. The word used here is a different word. And the only other time that he weeps like this is when his friend Lazarus died. It's the only other time. This was an ugly cry. You guys know what an ugly cry is? Anyone ever get really freaked out when someone else ugly cries? I do. Some people are afraid of clowns. I'm afraid of ugly cries sometimes. Just kidding. Been around a lot of ugly crying in my life. It's sobbing. It's wailing. It's uncontrollable. It's, it's so emotional that you're overcome with what's going on around you. We have a servant king that desperately wants us to repent. He desperately wants us to repent. He's crying tears for us. He's mourning the rejection he knows is coming. Even when Jesus is being rejected, on the road to the cross, he still cries tears for those rejecting him. That's, that's the servant king. Jesus is personally feeling the pain of this. I think most of us, when someone around us is going through something painful, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, physical, whatever, mental, we feel that pain. We have a servant king that feels the pain and the struggle that we're going through. Which leads to the fourth truth about Jesus. Jesus is the rejected king. He was rejected within a week. They're, they're saying when he enters the city, they're like, praise the king, blessed is the king. And then, then we see, as we go through to essentially what Friday would be, or when the Sabbath started, and he's crucified. He's a rejected king. He saw the opportunity of restoration of peace between God and man, but it's hidden from the people. The people of Israel are farsighted, not able to see that Jesus is right in front of their face. You sometimes, we sometimes can't see what is right in front of our face. They miss Jesus the messenger of peace. Have you? Are you living a life with no peace? Because verse 43 and 44, does that describe your life right now? The devastation in your life? Let me read that. 
For the days will come upon you. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's this year. Maybe it's this last year. Whatever it is. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground, and you and your children within you. And you will not leave one stone upon another in you because you do not know the time of your visitation. They didn't see Jesus. And they will face judgment and destruction again. It's not the first time. We know that from history. God followed through when Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. You can look it up if you're a history buff, but A.D. 70, this was fulfilled. Knowing that God is the final judge should motivate us to reach out to those rejecting him. If God is the final judge, we should be motivated to reach out to those rejecting him. Much like Jesus, we should pursue making hope known and bring peace to our world. Like Jesus, the church needs to be more than words, but be present and serve among the people that we're trying to reach. Like Jesus' life, our lives need to be an invitation to a relationship with the servant king. If it's not that, then what is it? Have you been invited to follow the servant king before? What's holding you back? Maybe your picture of Jesus isn't, is, is a picture of Jesus on the cross or a picture of Jesus in the resurrection or a picture of Jesus in some different way. But the picture of Jesus I see in this passage is some that, someone that didn't come to conquer your life but came to give you hope and be gracious and be loving and probably love you in a way that you've never felt before. Are you inviting others to follow the servant king? That's, that's a step that we all need to take at some point. I know each one of us, as we walk in this morning, there's someone in our lives that doesn't know Jesus. And when I say doesn't know Jesus, they, they maybe completely reject Jesus. Instead of crying tears like Jesus, we just, it is what it is, that's what we say. But that's not how life has to be. It's not how life has to be. Because we have a Savior that's, that's crying tears when we reject him. Soon, right after Easter, we're going to start a new series called Four. F-O-R, not F-O-U-R. Four, F-O-R. And part of the reason we're doing that is because most people have an idea of what the church is against, even if it's not accurate. You know? probably talk to people about church, about Jesus, and they're like, this is what I think about it. And you're like, well, that's not really what the Bible says. But not many know what the church of Jesus Christ is for anymore. They don't know what it's for. We want to be the church that is bringing people to Jesus, building into people like Jesus, and then sending people out to replicate like Jesus. And if we're going to do that, people need to know what we're for. We can only do that if we are people that are for the people around us, it's not just us. It's everyone around us. So the first step is inviting people to know the servant king. I'm sure when we walk around, the first thing I want to do, again, I'm, I'm speaking for me, but it's probably most of us. Selfishly, I don't think to ask curious questions right away about people. I don't ask like, how's your week going? Sometimes we avoid those questions because we know the answers are not going to be ones we want to hear, <laughs> right? 
And sometimes we just don't ask those questions because we don't have the energy to do that. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. People will only know we're for them if we're among them, if we're around them. So invite them to follow the servant king. And it might mean, at this point, invite people into your home. Invite people to Easter next week. So I have a question. And this is the question we all have to answer. Who are you going to invite? When I say that question, who are you going to invite? What name came to mind? What was the person that you know needs Jesus? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a relative. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. Whoever it is, something I'm learning is, and most of you probably know this, the best person to talk into someone you care about's life is not you sometimes. You ever hear that before? They need to hear it from someone else. And so who are you going to invite to come hear the gospel? So what? What's so, what's so important about this passage? So what? What is so important about this passage? It's very simple. It's very simple. Jesus is the all-knowing, servant, creator, rejected king. I know it sounds, ends like rejected. He was rejected, but he doesn't have to be rejected. So what does this change in your life, knowing that Jesus is king? No ruler, human ruler, can take that title from him. So I want to leave you with a question that I think we could wrestle for every day for the rest of our lives. How are you going to submit to the reign of Jesus in your life? How are you going to submit to the reign of Jesus in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and I, I'm willing to admit that it's really hard, really hard every day to wake up and let you reign in my life. And God, I know that I'm not the only one here. God, allow us to be a church that sees Jesus reign as the servant king in our lives. The one, the only, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that has more authority than anything that we see in this world. God, today, if there are some here or watching online, Lord, that do not know him as the servant king and are not letting him reign in their lives, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts and their minds to transform them, to be more like him. And wherever we're at, on the road with Jesus. Help us to start walking with him. In this next week, as we walk towards the cross and walk out of the tomb with Jesus on the road, Lord, just help us to see your work in our lives each and every day. We say all this in Jesus' name.